0: Hello everybody and thanks so much for tuning in to the I Brew My Own Coffee Podcast. This is episode 53, and I'm your host, Brian Shealy. Joining me today, after the Special Coffee Association's annual expo. Mr. Brian Bikey. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> Longtime listener, first time caller. Right? So we got to we got to see each other again, which is cool. That's like the third time that's happened. Right. Um, it's, uh, it was a crazy weekend Though I mean, from the, from the time I landed to the time I took off, it felt like I was just nonstop running around the whole time. Is that, was that your experience too? Absolutely the same. Yes. (laughs) I
1: felt like no matter what you tried to do, you could never do enough. The good thing is I never felt like I necessarily let somebody down. So they either just didn't vocalize it or... It was just understood. I mean, I've been to conferences and for for other hobbies. And that's kind of just what I do. But this one was different. There was
0: so much going on. Yeah. Yeah, there were... I mean, aside from the competitions themselves, which is really, I mean, for me, honestly, is what I was there for. You know, I really wanted to see... Obviously, it was what you were there for as well. Um, but to see the competitors, to see the... Various uh, barista competitors, Brewer's Cup, um, a couple couple folks doing Cup Tasters competition, and then a few people who I had really wanted to meet and finally got a chance to meet for the first time doing the Roasters competition. Um, aside from all of that, then you go downstairs and there are just two massive rooms full of uh, vendors and demonstrations and all kinds of stuff. I mean, just the craziest things you could ever come across in coffee. Uh, we're down there on the expo floor. Um, did you get down to the expo very, very often? I know we went down there once, but how, how often did you end up getting down there? I felt like I was down there a good bit of
1: time. I just was always scattered everywhere. So I, I went down to try and catch up with Houston or Lee if they were doing demos at a booth to try and see where they were. I went down because Wilford was there, so I wanted to say hey to him. went down because Jessica was there to say hey to her. From hey. Acme? correct and then just miscellaneous booths i I went down to see if not neutral had filters i needed more filters while i was mid uh practicing for compulsory um and our new roaster was on display there so i had to go see that just there was a ton of stuff i got down there for so i was in i was out i was in i was out and it was enormous because there were two wings of it so i got i was looking for the Panama booth for a long time. And then I'm like, where, where is
0: the zone? Like, Oh, that's in the other hall. I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's so much stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy spread out people everywhere. Um, which was exciting. It was really cool to see. Um, it was a little intimidating, challenging to try to find what you were looking for or who you were looking for. Um, but yeah, I got to bump into a lot of interesting people. Um, so uh, rather than having a guest on the show, uh, I got a chance to spend a little bit of time down on the expo floor uh, talking to some folks. And Brian, you were not with me for most of those interviews, right? You were gone off doing your own thing? Correct. I was there with during the talk, Tonks interview. Yeah. So what we're going to do uh, for the next few episodes, at least, um, is kind of run down some of the conversations that we ended up having on the show floor with some interesting folks. Um, Next week, we're going to talk about um, some of the competitors who competed in Brewer's Cup and Barista, including uh, some of the conversations with our very own Mr. Bikey about uh, his competition and how Brewer's Cup went for him. Um, And then in two weeks from today, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the products and interesting things that we saw at the show. Uh, We'll be talking with fellow products with Akaya, with Baratza, um, and also with Third Wave Water, which will be a lot of fun. But today, on this episode, uh, we're going to talk about sort of the peak and maybe the valley of the expense of coffee. And what do I mean by that? Well, you think about the most expensive cup of coffee that you ever buy. Um, what is that usually, Brian? What's your most expensive cup generally look like? It's generally going to look like a geisha. All right. So yeah, it's a geisha, and we're going to talk with one of the foremost uh, producers of geisha coffee, Graciano Cruz, who I got a chance to run into at the Ally booth, Um, and then we're going to go all the way back down to the very, very bottom of the barrel, so to speak. Maybe not so much in quality, I can't say that for sure, uh, but he's been in the news a lot lately. We're going to talk about $1 coffee from local in LA, uh, Mr. Tonks himself. Uh, Did you ever... Subscribed to Tonks back in the day, uh, for a short period of time, I did. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was interesting to see. Like, we just bumped bumped into him uh, out of the blue and got a chance to talk, and and uh, he was kind enough to do a little interview for us. So we're going to talk about uh, basically the peak in the valley of coffee today, price wise. Uh, first off, let's start off with a, a conversation that we had with Graciano Cruz. All right, everybody. Hey, what's up? I'm here in the Ally booth. We're hanging out with the one and only, Graciano Cruz. Tell us a little about your, about yourself. What should people know you for most specifically?
2: Hey, hi, nice to meet nice to, to meet be you. you too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no man, I think you know. Always people will know me as a coffee farmer, which is my passion. Uh, for sure, you know all this specialty coffee world and all the new things coming out all the time is really pop passion you know on the blood of everybody here so for me just doing coffee is a lifestyle you know I never thought I was going to find something that we have so much fun working on as coffee you know even though I am I come from Panama from Boquete a small coffee town I was working for a long time in something else in research in microbiology but I like 15, 16 years ago. To be exactly, uh, beginning to cup coffee and to learn about how to taste coffees was a time that I met a lot of people that became really successful in their business. You know, new small garage frosting companies that were like everybody looking at them like, who are these weirdos? You know, and I think that that you know that passion from this last decade is even exploding now you know you have so many people so many young kids you know and and all kids too <laughs> you know learning more about that there's no limits for coffee you know and uh, we have been working now in we kind of developed the honey process for many years uh, we also start to do natural coffees in central america like seven eight years ago now it's a lot of people doing atlas, which is one of my favorites. We stopped doing wash coffees because I don't believe in water pollution first. And second, why you will wash a fruit so delicious as coffee, you know? So, but, you know, people have different choices and I believe in that, you know? Right now, what I am doing is working with uh, different small farms in Panama, Salvador, but increasing the number of varietals I am beginning to plant a uh, well-known varietals like Geisha, Kenias, Harars, uh, Pacamaras, Bourbon, Laurinas most of them varieties are in coffee collections but they're really small still in commercial size so we start with this in Salvador we're beginning now to harvest the first crop for sure natural process because I think it's the whole potential and intensity of the fruit including the seeds that we roast will be there. So also we're just beginning a project a couple years, already will be two years ago uh, in Brazil. So we're trying different areas of Brazil, planting different gauges together with Ricardo Tavares, which is the president of the Allied Group. That's a big strong link that I have with this company here. And the whole idea is to break barriers you know we don't believe in barriers i think that farmers will get more and more together uh, mainly using people like you you know that can really spread the word what we're doing and it's interesting you know before was the barista movement the rosters new machines like spaceships now we have farmers coming to the market learning from all the people here in the market the consumer so we can bring to the market what people want not what we only can offer you know so that point of that tipping point in coffee innovation i think is happening right now in these times
0: and it's that's amazing i mean just hearing like your perspective going back as as long as it has been i mean and seeing now like the where we're at today um where do you think we'll be in five years what where, where do you think we'll be in ten years maybe with coffee and with the interaction between customers at the end product and then, you know, all the way back to the farmers, the producers, is, is there more to be done? Like, can we can we do sort of places to go that we haven't yet gone or places we should go? You know,
2: I, I think with the whole uh, technology developed, you know, mainly communications, and all the signs that start to move again in coffee industry, mainly the specialty site, uh, I think in five years, people can even buy a cup of coffee or reserve a cup of coffee in a coffee farm that is totally linked to them, you know. It's, you can get a phone or maybe who knows what else they invented, you know. But maybe you can see when your coffee have been picking and following the whole process and say, okay, I want my cup of coffee in three more months, so guys put it there, you know. So I think that type of business, you know, integrating the whole value change and making everything more sustainable for everybody, uh, is part of it, you know. The other thing, you will start to see people planting coffees in places that coffee never have been planted before. Because the whole technology too in the agricultural sciences is, is there know it's happening with other crops already why coffee shouldn't be one of them Uh, and I think you know now is the time that we can really say that coffee is following wine you know you see more farmers focusing in different varietals different tastes before it's whatever was producing more is what the farmer was planting and also in the other side you know of the coin you have all the baristas all the companies looking for something new to offer to the consumer so they can taste something different, you know. Uh, the other one is the Asian market is growing crazy. You know, you have countries like China, I would say Japan, Korea, Taiwan, they have been developing already, but you have all these Southeast Asia, like Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia. It's a big population. Besides China, those guys are beginning to drink specialty coffee and learn really fast people with a lot of discipline in their culture so I think those are factors that in the next five to ten years will really transform the industry.
0: That's amazing I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it I, I think the, the whole idea of just getting back and being able to connect with farmers via technology or the, the, the things that technology brings to agriculture and farming I mean I, it seems to be a really positive thing. Speaking of agriculture, speaking of uh, of varieties of coffee, possibly. So you mentioned doing some interesting uh, new experiments with varieties or yeah. changing around some. What are you doing? What's going on? Well, no, mainly what, we,
2: what I have been doing is, uh, sorry, <laughs> what I have been doing is uh, selecting the last ten years uh, and trying varieties from different coffee collections in different countries uh, and then whichever variety I like the taste, you know uh, I put it in the, in the basket, you know, now, right now we have 8, 9 different varieties that we're planting commercially the small lots which so will be limited volumes uh, but in that way also we can bring to a small farm of 10 hectares, 5 hectares 20 hectares, a, a different chance to get a better price for their product, you know. And at the same time, I think that this is a way that I can approach a micro-roster. And instead of this guy spending a, a lot of money in a s- expensive varietal or a sorting <laughs> varietal in a big package, we want to go with varietal <coughs> selections that they can try and serve three, four, five different varieties from one state, from one farm. Yeah. And also for the small farmer, it's oh, a yeah. way to play with the insects, with disease. You know, each variety have a different yeah. uh, uh, resistance or tolerance to different pests or varieties. So he can play with that too. You know, it's also the productivity level, uh, the seasonality of the farm. You know, I think the farmer have to break, get out of the egg. You know, <laughs> start to start to at least walk a little bit into the real world that the specialty coffee is doing. So I think that if we want to follow the successful wine industry, we have to do more science, and at the same time we have to start to look for the old rootstock that nobody cops for specialty coffee because forty years ago specialty coffee wasn't there yeah. didn't exist so for me living the new reality of coffee is following for real a one jar you know where you can treat your coffee trees as, as a grape that will be a final product you know normally the farmer just think in delivering a cherry most of the time and other farmers are already exporters a green bean here I have to think what I deliver in a cup of coffee In the cup, which is my final product. And when I link that to my production in the farm, I think that's the future, you know, it's the present already. And we'll get more sophisticated. So I think the farmers that start to think in that trend, it's a lot of people in different countries beginning to do a lot of crazy things that for me are not that crazy, I'm just trying to think out of the box. And for me, more. New generations are coming also with new ideas, using technology like candies, you know. So we need that. We need that more of that in the coffee industry. So in five years, maybe we can have a really sustainable uh, crop, you know, that can be uh, easier to get for the customer, uh, that the customer will have a lot more choices, you know, how to, to get his morning cup of coffee or his night cup of coffee, you know?
0: So, I, one of the things in talking with some friends about uh, maybe Panama specifically, but other places as well, um, there just seems to be like this sense of camaraderie maybe with a lot of the producers in these countries. Like, is there is there a lot of competition specifically or is there like a, a general thrust to like make sure everyone's doing well or... How does, that, how does that look for you?
2: I think Panama is a really special coffee case. Yeah. You know? Panama, we're, we have a small community. Panama exports only 50,000 bags of coffee. Uh, we are one of the smallest specialty origins. Uh, definitely, we are the highest average country price in coffee. One, because we have the varieties like the Geisha that is coming out. But in general, the production costs in Panama have been increasing so fast that I would say it's one, maybe the highest in Central America. So we need to sell our coffee based in quality, not in volume. So that put, like you say, put all of us to compete. You see that the competition in Panama every year is more challenging. Most of the people competing there, we were classmates, We have been living together for five generations four generations so that's a unique case in boquete i think maybe we can compare that with Kona at some point you know like the original uh, settlers or hawaiians planting coffee that's still on the business but i think panama is even more more interesting because the interaction of panama with the rest of central america with south america have been always existing, but now is a lot of big countries or big coffee countries uh, are beginning to look in small, successful coffee cases. And that's the partnership that I am doing with the Tavares group, you know, like with ally in the commercial part, but also planting with them. So we are integrating knowledge uh, and that change, you know, when you see somebody with a big farm all mechanized, that wants to, that is planting mahogany in all his farms because he believes in another system to produce coffee in Brazil which is the biggest coffee country in the world. Uh, You see somebody with vision and in the way that is the really humble way that Ricardo Tavares manages his farms and his business I think is uh, what attract me to, to do something with them, you know so the whole project there is how to scale up quality in Brazil I think Brazil has the biggest potential in the world for quality because it's the biggest volume uh, they have the technology they have the, the market it's a big market, they drink a lot of coffee too uh, you see that the whole barista movement inside the country is moving uh, and all this, all this happening, and you see a lot of farmers alliances now, you know, people from Panama working in other countries, like myself, you know, I am planting coffee in Salvador. I have this partnership in Brazil now. We're trying to do something in Ethiopia. But, you know, my goal is if I can produce a small amount of really unique coffees in seven, ten countries, you know, I hope to live enough to do that you know <laughs> coffee takes normally four to five years to produce that's something that we're working to you know if we have better conditions to the environment that is changing for coffee plantations how faster we can produce and or how faster we can get to the quality point that we need in a cup of coffee so yeah, i think the the way that panama projected wakes up a lot of people in the farming side you I in mean the export side to flip from commercial coffee to specialty coffee so in that event you know we start to see now countries that never were known by specialty coming out with beautiful amazing coffees you know and I think that that will be a really nice partnership you know if you can have an association of farmers worldwide you know because right now you have Different organizations that have been doing a really beautiful work, was well, mainly the market side. You know, is I think that finally we start to connect the production or the origins. You know, and that will be beautiful. I think is Panama can be you know a really good case. The small communities with a lot of effort together, we're doing a lot of research together. We share a lot of information. We copper coffees together with cheap coffees, consolidating containers between different farms. Uh, We share clients. Uh, So we know what's going on, you know, with our our product. But on the other hand, also, uh, that gives a lot of strength to us to make decisions and keep uh, beating on the specialty business, you know. So, yeah, I think mainly Central America is moving a lot South America is beginning to to stretch I think Africa will be a big surprise in four or five years you know because I think finally quality is coming to be into their education uh, programs the education programs are beginning to to be inside their production and export programs Uh, basically because the pressure of the market because the market knows that we have Yours, there, you know, beautiful coffees, but we need to teach more farmers, and more than the farmers, you know, we need to teach the labor uh, how good coffee tastes, you know, if my pickers don't know how a, my coffee tastes they don't care so in my farm, all my my employees, they always drink our coffee so, as it's a way, you know I think that we have to get back to to the old school in drinking what we produce or eating what we produce as a farmer, uh, but yeah, I think the future, you know, the future and the limits are the sky, man. This
0: is just great. I, I, I could literally just sit here and listen to you talk forever, but look, I, I will stop taking up so much of your time. Let's just ask you one more question. Um, what over the last you know little bit has been one of the most remarkable coffees that you've had or had an experience with if you can say or if you can remember like best cup recently
2: yeah you know it's it's a hard question yeah <laughs>
0: it.
2: you know i can say that i have a experience once with, with a harar that was unique taste you know the i still get fixed in my mind that you know, the blueberry, chocolate, but real ones, you know, not like that you try to find it, you know, it was there. Uh, and I think the, the jasmine-y, fruity, uh, before with the geisha, we start to talk a lot about jasmine and stone fruits. What we're doing with natural geishas now is taking out a lot of more uh, properties of the fruit, you know, itself geisha fruit is so major with tropical taste of mangoes, bananas, papayas, lychees. you know, it's, it's out of, out there, you know, so I, I think so, I mean, in, in these varieties I would put three cases, you know, uh, I give you a little sample yeah. of a varietal. Yeah,
0: I got a little sample of this <laughs> of this unnamed varietal in a little baggie that I'm very excited <laughs> to brew. So
2: the, the variety has a number. Yes. You know, it's an old variety in a coffee collection. It's one of the Herlong Ethiop- Ethiopian Sarabicas that were brought to Katia or Central America in the 30s, 40s, you know, for research. But no nobody had planted ever, you know. It's just always been a a number in a coffee collection, so when I try it uh, in El salvador uh, I decide that I want to plant a coffee you know I don't care if anything else I have to learn how the variety grows, what's the problems of the variety, how productive it is, but for me, the matching thing you know for planting coffee nowadays or making a coffee farm is what I found in the taste you know that's essential you know if you want to play ball in the real specialty business that's it man you know the rest for sure is important I hope that it's highly productive and (laughs) will be you know tolerant to a lot of things but uh, for me those three coffees have been unique profiles you know that for me will be benchmarks of excellence how to get there
0: been great thank you so great. much uh graziano ahead. cruz for being on the show with us uh have a great rest of your show
2: thanks a lot my friend was well, beautiful and i hope that you can visit us in salvador or panama anytime man yeah.
0: okay. right, hey I'm, a, I'm on a plane right now let's go all right take care. thank you well wow, that was a
1: lot of information for just being on the show floor i mean that's we could
0: probably cut it there yeah he uh he was such a good conversationalist. Even after that, it just, it almost felt like you were just talking to like your best buddy there on the floor. And he was, he was really well-spoken, which I was, I was uh, just impressed by for, for how prominent and important he is in the, in the world of specialty coffee, especially in Panama. Um, So it was an honor to get a chance to talk to him. Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, then actually this happened earlier on in the show, Brian and I, we were walking around and uh, we bumped into tonks and I actually I think we were just coming from the Panama booth actually, right we were we were sampling some coffees over there um, who who else was there at the Panama booth, by the way um Willem Boot was there
1: yeah, and Wilfred Lamastis was there, and um, I'm trying to remember who else was there. There's a guy that we met named Manuel, and he is a roaster in Panama and has a shop as well. I mean, he started off, uh, as Wilfer was telling me, he just started off just being really interested in coffee, kind of the same, a a similar pursuit as you and I, just interested, tinkering around with it, shooting photos, doing this and that, and then decided he wanted to open a shop and wanted to start roasting coffee. So I think uh, I'll be going there to Panama next month, and he'll be getting his new roaster the day that we arrive. So hopefully meeting up with him and touring some of
0: his uh his facility or cafe whatever it would be as well. Some of the coffees that we had there were really impressive and I was actually surprised to see um a lack of washed coffees available. I thought I would see like a washed green tip or or something like that and they primarily had like honey processed and natural coffees. And then it made sense from what um, Graciana was saying in our interview, why that was. I guess they're just sort of veering a little bit more away from washed coffees, more toward honey process and natural coffees. Right. So as we were walking, we were going to continue on and find some more booths, some more folks to talk to. Um, I saw the one and only Tonks standing there Um And so I I basically just stopped us and waited for him to get done with the conversation. And then we started chatting. And I went, yes, I did. I went all fanboyed out on him and basically said like, I was a big Tonks subscriber like way, way back in the day, um, as Brian was briefly. But Tonks actually was one of my very, very first coffee subscriptions. Um, Actually, I think it was my first. And I got into that from a series of podcasts that I used to listen to back in the day, um, kind of tech-focused, more technology-based, Apple products and things like that, and uh, Tonks at the time was was a, uh, was a an advertiser on those podcasts, which is how I found out about them. So it was probably one of my first introductions to Specialty Coffee, and we got a chance to talk to him about maybe some controversial stuff that he's doing in L.A., Uh at Local, serving $1 coffee. Let's take a listen. Hey everybody, what's up? We're here with the man behind $1 coffee at Local. Uh, you know you know him from the old Tonks subscription. Can we get your full name, sir? Because I know you as Tonks, but who should everyone else know you as?
3: Yeah, I'm happy to go by Tonks. It's Tony Knessny, and when you have a last name like Knessny or Konechny or Konechny, it's yeah, you just kind of give up on last names. Yeah. Uh. <laughs>
0: So uh, obviously, uh, Tony Tonks been in the news for quite a bit about a dollar coffee. There you go. You know, it's it's a hot topic, I guess, right? But it's not exactly something that's unique uh, to coffee itself. Like, what is um, what is a, a common problem that we're addressing here with a dollar coffee that exists in other marketplaces?
3: Um, I, I mean, I, I think it's it's. I mean look I, I understand why people kind of handring about it or why it sort of resonates for people and kind of gets um, it's 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 a it's a a, a softly divisive topic um, it, but it's I think it's surfacing that um, people have a lot of strong opinions like we use the term approachability a lot in coffee and coffee marketing and in the culinary world and food marketing and Um, taking these things that are kind of esoteric or maybe pretentious and trying to like dress them down or dress them up in a way that gives people a a way to onboard and understand it and get a grasp of it. And I think that most of the ways that we've done that in high-end coffee have, have been, I mean, I think coffee is inherently approachable. I think that good coffee is not an acquired taste bad coffee is definitely an acquired taste and it's an acquired taste that a lot of us have acquired uh at different scales and at different times in our lives and um and so i think there's you know if if your first pass for for getting people into like the new and exciting world of coffee is you know having them slurp out of a spoon at a public cupping and give you know give esoteric descriptors and you know name you know name stuff from the produce aisle that they're getting out of a sip of coffee it's it's where we're not really creating a nice on-ramp for people because good coffee i think uh is self-evident and you take a sip of it and if you generally like coffee which i think most people kind of do it's it's not you know i mean i remember the first time i had a sip of beer i didn't didn't enjoy it like it took me a while to acquire a taste for beer and most of my first coffee experiences were probably like that or worse um but you come around but I think like a really nice cup of coffee is pretty delightful um so so you start there and then move the conversation and so so uh, you know fast forward like I think with with this it's you know I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to posit that like coffee should be cheaper or, you know, change the value proposition around. I'm just saying that, like, look, especially in the markets where we operate and the, the places where this coffee can find itself, um, you know, which is not a context for everyone. The economics don't work outside of fast food and everything else that we're doing. But you can come and have this experience and be like, oh, damn, that's a good cup of coffee. And I don't need you to validate, like, that, you know, we're sourcing from Aleko Chagunas and we're doing, I, it's, it's fine. Like, you don't need to know the story behind it. If you want it, it's there. You know, knock on the door, look at our Twitter feed. Like, we'll, we'll talk about that stuff. But it's not, you're, you, don't, you don't have to absorb the geekery. You don't have to, to cross the threshold of understanding how to hold your cupping spoon before, before we'll let you enjoy this as a, as a product
0: experience. It was really interesting because we were just talking to Sam Lewinton from everyman espresso uh, up, upstairs, and he was saying that one of the reasons why he like coordinates his signature beverages for what he does the way that he does is that he doesn 't want to instruct the judges to do anything other than like just pick up the cup and drink it you know because like there 's all these you know swirl it nineteen times with a spoon or whatever like all these fussy things that have ended up happening, and he says that like in the majority of his service like he wants to keep it as simple as possible for his customers at his shop and so that's the same kind of interaction he wants with the judges is just like simply giving them coffee and not going obviously he's giving them like tasting notes and all that stuff that are required in a competition like that but in a shop i mean it's it can be as simple as here's your coffee i've done everything i could for it you know and, and please enjoy it like i mean that that seems to be kind of the approach maybe at a much simpler level than what you guys are, are doing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's like, a there, there are some cases where you want to create a radical decontextualization so that people will have an experience that, that if you didn't, frame it in a different way or or upset them or put you know put a little bit of a barrier in there that they might just kind of knock it back and take it for granted and not think about it or not like look for the nuance or not appreciate you know not not stop and smell the roses with it so I think that you know we're we're in a place now where kind of the the orthodoxies around kind of third wave specialty coffee and the the sort of the the buy-in that's required to kind of stand in a line for 20 minutes and have this sort of you know, contemporary coffee experiences. Uh, like, I, I, think, I think the people who are going to self-select into that, or it's pretty well established um, who that audience is. And I think it's still growing, and it's a great, exciting category. But, um, but I think if you can, if you can remove that, like, like that when it first propped up like when we did the first intelligentsia store in la and you know got the menu down from 40 drinks to seven and got rid of sizes and options and just said like look like this is we're going to make this really easy these are your choices and have this experience and um get rid of a lot of the what at the time were familiar trappings of like a retail you know cash register you know overhead menu experience um that it it that decontextualization opens people up to being like, okay, something is different about this. I want to understand this. And you, and I think now, like, the pendulum is swinging the other way, that the way to decontextualize it is to stop dressing it up, is to just say, you know what, it's, like, there's, you know, <laughs> some of my barista friends would be pissed for me to say this, but I don't think there's anything wrong with drinking coffee out of a paper cup. You know? <laughs> really, it's, you know, <gasps> like... And, like, you know, don't worry that you're killing that many trees. You know, cancel your newspaper subscription if you're it's, – it's like it's not the end of the world. Like, this is how millions of people do this every day, and it's not destroying the delicate nuances of your coffee. And um, so if I can serve someone a really good cup of expertly brewed, fresh-roasted coffee for a dollar in this very narrow, specific context, um, awesome. And if it, if it makes them, like, appreciate coffee in a new way and they want to go down the rabbit hole and they, you know, they join the ranks of, of all of us who are, you know, chasing our tails with... with trying to brew the perfect cup and try to understand this slippery ephemeral weird ass world of high end coffee and the strange personalities that inhabit it you know fantastic if they just want to like say look i like good coffee now and i'm going to figure this out and they you know they buy themselves a, a a grinder and a french press and you know start start looking at roast dates when they go to the grocery store like hey that's that's a win in my book um and you know meanwhile there's you know, billions of dollars in, in high-end coffee out there that is total garbage. That's coming from big multinational companies, and you know, sixty dollars a pound inside of a capsule um, that has nothing magical about it. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's, I think there's room to kind of push outside of our niche and try new things, and and. Um, and I hope I'm not doing something terrible with with this, uh, but I, I don't think it's you know I don't think it's going to have the impact that people are concerned about it having. Um, and if somebody wants to open up a third wave coffee shop, uh, you know, next to the housing projects in Watts and sell five dollar cappuccinos, be my guest.
0: So, speaking of trying new things, and uh, we'll wrap this up here quick, but uh, speaking of trying new things, tell us a little bit about Yes, Please, and why should we be excited about this new project of yours, which I'm excited about, so tell me why.
3: Uh, well, you know, uh, we don't have much of a website up yet, but it's yesplz.coffee. And you can get on our email list, and we send emails almost never, which is great mm-hmm. and um, thank you I think we'll have uh, more to say about kind of our future. you know we're just kind of winging it now, and obviously, like I miss you know the interactions that we have with customers at at tonks and you know doing a direct to consumer business you know but but on a very modest scale is inevitable um in one form or another and you know so nothing to announce stuff is definitely in the works and we're excited about it and you know stay tuned
0: well we're excited for you thanks so much Tonks, for being with us and uh hope you have a fun show yeah so far so good thank you
1: so off microphone too i had asked him the question of whether or not we would potentially see yes please move back into that subscription territory that he once was in. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say he did that vague dance that alludes to something, but I wouldn't (laughs) say he necessarily shut it out either. Yeah. Um, I just, but I do know that one of the things he was mentioning in the conversation again before being on air was just talking about some of the logistics of Tonks and where it would need to be in order to, to, to scale to be, you know, what it needed to be. And I feel like he might have some of that in place with local uh if that were to be something that continues so yeah. I, but i also know that the market is quite different
0: than as it was now so we'll just have to wait and see yeah i think it from from the way that he talked it really sounded like he was interested or really wanting to get back into a service model where he was where he was dealing directly with customers um so maybe we 'll see that with yes please i i don't know uh but yeah we 're going to have links in the show notes to a lot of the articles that were written up about uh local and about one dollar coffee in the show notes and uh go take some of the or go take a read if you haven't uh, had a chance to check some of those things out it 's really interesting perspective, I mean it obviously is kind of approaching you know, regular folks who may not listen to a podcast like this, who may not care that much about attending a specialty coffee association expo who may not, whatever. I mean, <laughs> you know, really just reaching people who want a great cup of coffee, but really don't have that much interest in the third wave, so to speak. Right. Um, yeah, I've, I thought it was interesting just to hear him say like, if those people get interested in it enough to where they want to come dive down the rabbit hole um then then that's great so i i I feel like it's a good thing although there are quite a lot of people who are are rather upset about it so yeah i guess we'll have to see all right so uh do do you get a chance to talk to anybody else exciting that may not have been competing I didn't have a lot of conversations like I would have
1: hoped to when I go to events like this. One of my favorite things is less about the parties, less about this and that. It's more about just whether you're grabbing dinner with somebody or walking with someone. So one of those conversations happened over a lunch with Seth and just kind of hearing him talk a little bit about MistaBox, Box. And it's just always nice to hear somebody kind of unravel how they look at a company, uh, where things are so those are the kind of conversations that it's 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 great because it it applies you can pull out principles that apply to more than just how you look at one business or what they're doing they're kind of it's just kind of conversations of how you look at a startup or how you look at any sort of thing that's the kind of conversation it was without getting too wordy about all the information of it. So that was a fun conversation that we had. But other than that, I can't recall. I got to spend a little bit of time with some of the my crew from novel coffee again. So it's not necessarily pertinent in regards to some growing relationship as much as it was just catching up. You know, it's been almost a year since I moved out of there. And um that was another just kind of big growth moment for me in coffee was being able to connect with them so frequently while I was down in Dallas. And then to see Ryan uh, place first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. If you think about it in cup tasters, uh, he was actually seventh place. Cause it was done. The tie breaking is done by time. Uh, but there was a seven way tie in yeah. cup tasters. So uh, super congrats to him. And it was great. I mean, I didn't get to catch up with him as much as I wanted to, but it was great to see both him and Kevin and just, you know, they, they mean a great deal to me. So that's another thing,
0: but yeah. Yeah. I, it, it so many of those people that, that you get to know and it's, it's just great to reconnect with folks and it's almost impossible to plan anything at an event like this. I mean, to, to schedule anything, um, it's because there's so much going on and, and it's to the point where this was actually um I think my Saturday morning while I was uh, getting ready to go down to the show, I had stopped into the Lamarzoco Cafe and it was just packed. It was insane in there. And um, you know, the huge line out the door. So I was talking to friends and things like that, and I, I didn't end up standing in line to get coffee or anything. And uh in walks in uh Calais and umeko from sudden coffee um which i hadn't got a chance to meet them at all yet during the show so i went over and introduced myself and we talked for a little bit and uh they were like no we're we're not waiting in this line either we're just going to go down to the show floor and they were going to grab an uber uh so they jumped in my car and i drove them down to the show floor and i gotta tell you i wish i had my my uh, recorder going during that drive um some really interesting conversations about, um, the new blend that they just announced yesterday, um, their Helvetica blend, which is pretty crazy. Did you hear about that? Did you see the, the announcement about their new blend? I did. And I was curious
1: to see where it was going because it said, oh, check this out, watch this video. And I was, uh, I was interested to see the profile they chose and kind of a little bit surprised that, um,
0: that that was something that was so requested. So Yeah. Yeah, so they're uh really targeting more of like a chocolatey sort of um citrus profile and they're they're uh basically touting it as like the most unique blend now, which is interesting. Uh for instant coffee, they basically brewed three different coffees. I think I believe two Colombians and a Honduran. Or two Hondurans and a Colombian. It sounds right. Um yeah, together. Or they, they brewed each one of those separately. And then went through their process of, of turning them into instant coffee, turning them into sudden coffee. And then they post, after the fact, blended them all together to create this Helvetica blend, which is really cool. Um, and then we also got a chance to talk a little bit about competition. Um, it was interesting if you were following either uh, Sudden Coffee or uh, maybe it was Umeko herself who actually posted a photo of, the, of them with the Voila crew. Uh, their competitor doing also doing instant coffee and it was really i i gotta say i it was just really interesting to hear her perspective um because she said that you could tell they were a little bit nervous when when uh they walked up but then you know once they actually found out that you know there wasn't any hard feelings or that they were generally fairly nice people um that they both they all got along really well and and had a good conversation Um, which kind of got me talking about competition. Like how do they feel generally toward people who um, do this sort of similar thing as they do? And um, Kelly gave some really great insight. And he said, essentially, you know, their competition is not other companies doing similar things to them. Their competition is really Keurig or K cup in general, you know, and, and focusing on that as their, as their real competition you know, if if people get interested in specialty coffee through some other really approachable means, like Voila or Swift Cup or some of these other companies, he said, you know, that's only good for everybody in this in this space. You know, if they if they move away from K Cup to this more approachable method, um, like Sun Coffee or any of these others, then it's good for everybody. And so, I saw that was an interesting perspective that he had, and really really well thought out. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's neat. Um, so yeah, lots of little moments like that. Uh, but coming up next week, we're going to talk about some of the competitors who competed in Brewers Cup and barista competitions, including our very own brand bikey. Um, thanks everybody for tuning in. You can find us on Instagram at I brew my own coffee. You can find us on Twitter at brew my own coffee. go to our website, check out our show notes for this episode at I brew my own coffee.com slash 53. If you want to send us an email, click the contact us link at the top of the page. And hey, guess what? We have a Slack team now. Um, If you want to join our Slack team, go to iBrewMyOwnCoffee.com slash Slack to get an invite and we will let you on in. There's uh, over 200 people joining us on Slack and having some really interesting conversations, uh, sharing a lot of great coffees, great conversations about filter brewing, espresso, home roasting. Uh, You name it. We're talking about it there. So uh, come on in. Join us. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Until next week, literally, when our next episode will be. Uh, happy birthday, everybody. So long, everyone.